Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. Coming up today, a lawsuit alleges the Cab County Sheriff's Department under Sheriff Melody Maddox ignored claims of sexual harassment from female staff by inmates. I'll speak with the attorney representing current and former employees and speak with a former staff member. Plus, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis's office announces more alleged gang indictments. This time, the crimes tied to home break-ins. What they did do is target people who show their wealth on social media. Um, So I do have a message for the public where it is kind of fun to put your things on social media and show off. Unfortunately, these gangs are becoming more savvy, more sophisticated in the way that they target you. We'll get an update in just a moment on these crimes, as well as that special grand jury probing possible misconduct regarding Georgia's 2020 presidential election results. WABE politics reporter Raul Bali stops by with the latest. Oh, that's just ahead. But first this, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp will have to testify before that special grand jury that's investigating the 2020 election interference, but not until after the November election. Susanna Capaluto reports Kemp had sought to squash his subpoena. After the 2020 election, Kemp had resisted pressure from former President Donald Trump to call a special legislative session after Trump lost Georgia by about 12,000 votes. Kemp, a Republican, said he has sovereign immunity as governor, claiming he is not compelled to testify before the special grand jury about conversations he may have had with the Trump campaign and others about possible election interference. A judge disagreed, has ordered Kemp to testify, but not until after the November 8th election, The judge said he did not want the grand jury investigation to be used by anyone to influence the outcome of the election. Kemp is facing Democrat Stacey Abrams. Susanna Capaluto, WABE News. And we'll have more on that in just a moment. Speaking of Georgia, Governor Brian Kemp, he says the state will spend $60 million in federal funding for housing efforts throughout Georgia, as we hear from Stephanie Stokes. The money is supporting projects that will create new affordable housing or preserve existing properties. Some funding will also go toward mental health services for people who are homeless. Twenty different organizations qualified for the awards, some receiving as much as $5 million, and several are Atlanta-based. For example, the Ebenezer Building Foundation, a development arm of the historic Ebenezer Baptist Church, Quest Community Development, and the Atlanta Land Trust. The money comes from the American Rescue Plan Congress passed last year. Recently, Democrats have attacked Kemp for touting his spending of federal money when he has opposed some of the pandemic relief spending bills. 
Stephanie Stokes, WABE News. The Southern Poverty Law Center will spend $5 million to boost voter outreach programs among communities of color in the South, including right here in Georgia. Fee Wynn is with one of those groups, Asian Americans Advancing Justice. She says Asian Americans had record turnout in 2020, but Georgia's new election law makes it harder to vote for some. We are facing some of those challenges where every time our communities turn out in a big way, then there are greater efforts to suppress the vote. And so we have to constantly be, I think, nimble and um, have to make sure that our communities are educated on some of those changes with voting. Wynn says the organization will use the money for nonpartisan voter outreach to get people reengaged in time for the November elections. The Gwinnett County School District has confirmed a case of monkeypox at Decula Elementary School. The district says it's contact tracing, but due to privacy laws, wouldn't confirm the gender or age of the patient. Monkeypox, of course, is a virus that causes a rash that first appears like flat spots, then changes into raised bumps and blisters. It's spread through skin-to-skin contact. The Newton County Schools confirmed one case of monkeypox last week and said a second person was being tested for the virus. If the outlook for the Atlanta Falcons this year has you a little down, well, don't worry. Or sports perhaps isn't really your thing anyway. How about this? A new local league is launching. Hold on. And it's all about creeks. Atlanta Creek League aims to get people more aware of and involved in their local waterways, as we hear from Molly Samuel. Even if there's no creek right in your backyard, wherever you live, you're in a watershed. The raindrops that fall on your home feed into a creek or stream, which then flows into a river. The new Atlanta Creek League aims to connect people with those waterways. If you're not sure which is yours, the website has a tool to help figure it out. People can earn points for their creeks with cleanups or environmental monitoring. Organizers say the goal of the league, complete with team logos and jerseys, is to make it easy for people to rally around natural resources. Rooting for Sugar Creek in the South River Division, Molly Samuel, WABE News. And I'll raise raise Molly's Creek with my own as soon as I find one. Uh, And finally... Just keep coming out and supporting me as long as I'm here. Know that I love you so much, and I'm so excited to be here. It is not over yet. The storied career of Serena Williams continues as Williams beat Donika Kovinich in the first round of the U.S. Open last night up in New York. Now Williams returns to the court tomorrow, and she's also playing doubles with Sister Venus, another incredible player in this year's U.S. Open. Atlanta native Coco Golf also was victorious yesterday in her first round. The 18-year-old credits Serena Williams' influence to play tennis beginning when she was just six years old. So good luck to both of them and Venus and everybody else. So y'all don't send me emails. This is Closer Look. We're back in a moment. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. 
And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. It is no surprise the Fulton County District Attorney's Office is busy. That's to be expected for one of Georgia's largest counties. However, for DA Fonnie Willis, there are some high-profile and notable investigations taking place. And now comes this 220-count indictment against 26 folks in connection with crimes targeting the homes of entertainers, athletes, and social media influencers. Well, the violent crimes included home invasions and burglaries in Atlanta, Sandy Springs, and Union City. During a press conference Monday, Willis said these and many other crimes were orchestrated by gang members. Willis was joined by law enforcement officers from a number of agencies involved in the case. We have a message, and that is get out of this county or expect to start seeing sentences that go life plus. Because I am not going to negotiate with gang members. I am not going to allow pleas. We are going to find you. We are going to convince you. And we're going to send you to the prison for the rest of your days. And I'm not apologizing for that. Victims include Mariah Carey, Marlo Hampton of the Real Housewives of Atlanta, Atlanta United's Brad Guzan, and the Atlanta Falcons' Calvin Ridley. WAB's Raul Bali was at the Fulton County Courthouse for Monday's announcement. Raul, as always, thanks for taking time. I appreciate it. No problem, Rose. Now, here's a situation where the role of social media did something, in a sense, I guess kind of good for authorities because a big part of these crimes was focusing on social media posts and announcements from the victims here. Yeah, it was it was both good and bad when we're talking about what happened here with social media that what investigators are figuring out, and specifically in this case, what Sandy Springs police figured out was that there was a connection with celebrities and social media influencers, but they're putting on social media and these crimes. And and this is what uh, District Attorney Fonnie Willis had to say about that. What they did do is target people who show their wealth on social media. Um, So I do have a message for the public where it is kind of fun to put your things on social media and show off. Unfortunately, these gangs are becoming more savvy, more sophisticated in the way that they target you. Mm. And, you know, one of the examples, Rose, that she gave was Marlo Hampton from Real Housewives of Atlanta and specifically that. She mentioned that, you know, you know, she took a tour through the house. She should, the media would see parts of the house and that it, whether it was that crime or others, criminals knew exactly where to go to get stuff. So that was that was something interesting that the D.A. talked about. So Marlo Hampton, for her fans saying, hey, here's a little in, insight into our residence. And exactly. she's showcasing valuables and the thieves were. It was a roadmap, basically. Wow. Uh, What about the questions surrounding crimes being talked about in songs? So Willis did say that, you know, the indictments do mention lyrics from music videos. And she was asked specifically about, you know, there are some politicians who want to limit rap lyrics being used in prosecutions. Now, while she did say she was open to talk about it, she also said she thinks it would fail and she really pushed back when, when it was, the question was, are you targeting Atlanta hip hop? You do not get to uh, commit crimes in my county and then decide to brag on it, which you do that for a form of intimidation and to further the gang and not be held responsible. One of the lyrics in, used in this 
indictment. Just one of the lyrics is me and my crew striking out, striking in all black. Send me the drop. We'll kick in the house. If we steal a car, we're going to take off the tag. Well, they kick it indoors, committing home invasions. Uh, and now I'm using those lyrics that they're admitting to doing that. I'm going to continue to do that. People can continue to be angry about it. Um, I have some legal advice. Don't confess to crimes on rap lyrics if you do not want them used or at least get out of my county. Well, uh, you know what you heard there at the end, you heard multiple times, very sharp and very pointed comments about specifically fighting, fighting back against gang crime. Um, that's that's seemingly the big concern here. And, and you've heard it from from other DAs and other law enforcement that gang crime and, and many of these crimes are being connected to gangs is the issue that law enforcement and, and prosecutors are having to deal with. Mm, wow. Raul, you and your fellow WABE politics reporter, Sam Greenglass, you've been covering this special grand jury seated by District Attorney Fonnie Willis here. And that, of course, is looking into 2020 election interference, potential 2020 election interference in Georgia, um, specifically efforts by then President Donald Trump and his allies to overturn Joe Biden's victory here in Georgia. Uh, what did the DA have to say about that if she was able to go into any details? She actually did go into some detail. You know, we're, we always wonder going into these press conferences, especially with something like this, you know, what what we expect here. And let me set the image real quick. The press conference was held in the Fulton County Courthouse in the same room where the grand jury is meeting. That's also their press conference room. So it was really interesting for us to be in there for that. But here were her comments when we when when I asked her, hey, where do things stand? When When do you think this will wrap up? I think we're about 60 percent through of all of the people that we need to be brought up. I'm pleased with the pace that we're going. Um, you know, there can't be any predictions. As you know, many people are uh, unsuccessfully fighting our subpoenas. Uh, we will continue to fight to make sure that the grand jury and the public gets the truth. Um, and I am very hopeful that by the end of this year, I'll be able to send the grand jury on their way. Now, her comments came after yesterday's ruling that Governor Brian Kemp must testify before the special grand jury, despite a number of arguments made by Kemp's lawyers. But one argument that did stick is that Kemp does not need to testify until after the November election. Mm. Judge Rob McBurney, who's overseen the grand jury, he basically said, look, we're, you're in the middle of a re-election campaign. Nobody should use him testifying in front of the grand jury for their advantage, whether it's whether it's one of the governor's opponent or the governor himself. So. Um, and, and one other thing, the district attorney was specifically asked about the political motivations of the investigation and, and whether it would affect the 2022 elections. And here's what she had to say about that. I've been very specific and um, determined to uh, get rid of that accusation that this is just some political stunt and we were trying to uh, impact the election. As you may recall, I did not call the first witnesses until we were after those primaries and I made it very well known to the judge who's over this as well as my team that I would not do anything until after the election. Um, so they'll have to accuse me of something else. They can get rid of that one. Mm. Wow. Yeah, uh, let me and let me finish with two important reminders because these are these are common questions I get from whether it's our audience or people I just talked to. First, this grand jury is still in place until May of next year, mm -hmm. and second, even when they're done, they're going to produce a report, not an indictment. I keep 
That's like the biggest thing I remind people is there's not going to be an indictment. There will be a separate process for the district attorney to likely present whatever she wants to do in front of a regular grand jury. Mm. WABE politics reporter Raul Bali. As always, we appreciate you taking the time. Good information. Thank you. No problem. Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. A federal lawsuit alleges the DeKalb County Sheriff's Department ignored several claims from female staff about sexual harassment from inmates. Filed weeks ago, the lawsuit cites several instances where the behavior of the inmates posed a potential threat, as well as some other allegations. Now, James Rafford is representing former and current employees in the Sheriff's Department. And that also includes Ebony Boswell. And both join me now. Thank you both for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Attorney Rafford, let's begin with you because I want to get some clarification for our listeners as well. How many current and former female staff employees from the DeKalb Sheriff's Department are you representing? Uh, at the moment, we have six plaintiffs named in the lawsuit. Um, that's a collection of current and former um, correctional officers and techs at the DeKalb County Jail uh, with the, the DeKalb County Sheriff's Office. Um, after we filed the complaint and there's been uh, some news reporting on it, uh, we have uh, been contacted by a number of others. Um, and so it, it could expand beyond those six. So I want to be clear, um, current and former correctional officers and other staff members? Yes, ma'am, that's correct. There's the correctional officers who are actually post-certified law enforcement officers. And then there are also uh, what are called techs. Um, who support the correctional officers, okay. but perform a lot of the same duties. And the grounds of the lawsuit, the violations of the Civil Rights Act and the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. I know what the 14th Amendment is about, but for our listeners, why don't you go ahead and give and, and tell them what you all are alleging here in terms of violations? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act is the federal law that prohibits discrimination in employment. Um, and that includes discrimination on the basis of sex, which includes um, the ma maintenance of a hostile, sexually hostile working environment for employees. Um, and so the gist of our complaint is that um, the, the female staff at the jail um, were not protected by the sheriff's office and the command staff. You had inmates who were openly sexually harassing them. Um, I don't know how much, I know we've got, you know, probably children in the audience, so I don't want to describe in detail some, sure. of, well, some of the things that were happening, but um, these staff were being constantly confronted with this sort of thing and, and not being protected uh, against it by the command staff. Well, and we will give a, a, a you know, disclaimer, a note of caution for listeners if we do have to go into detail. I want to bring in Ebony for a moment, Ebony Boswell. Ebony, um, how long were you employed with the sheriff, DeKalb County Sheriff's Department? For 16 years, since 2005. 16 years. What was your role? Um, officer Jeller. You went into that career. That's something that you had wanted to do, obviously, right? Yes, I wanted to do policing, but um, I said I'd go ahead and start at the jail. I had two children at home, so that was def definitely steady employment. 
had, can you assess in terms of when you started to when you left in terms of the culture? When did it start to, through your lens, start to change? Hmm. Or was it systemic? It was a fun place. <laughs> it was common it was place. a fun place at first. It was a fun place. I enjoyed going to work. We would go an hour early just to sit around and talk as um, fellow employees and coworkers. Um, we really enjoyed, I really enjoyed my job up until about, I would say maybe three years ago, things mm-hmm. kind of got a bit, meh. Yeah. So it came to the point where I didn't want to go to work. Now we wanted, I was afraid to go to work. You were afraid. I want to pick back up that in just a moment because we want to know, closer look, contacted the DeKalb County Sheriff's Office to appear on the program or issue a statement. Now through a spokesperson, we, re- we received the following, quote, thank you for your interest in the DeKalb County Sheriff's Office. Sheriff Maddox was delighted to have been a guest on Closer Look a while ago, and we appreciate this invitation, but we must decline. The agency does not comment on pending litigation, close quote. So we wanted to get that out there. Ebony, you said okay. up until a few years ago, you felt you you was dangerous coming to. Yeah. I mean, I understand I work in a jail, so you're going to be around mm-hmm. dangerous environment. But I never felt afraid. Mm-hmm. Every time I walked in a pot, I never felt afraid, even though there was a potential of danger. Mm-hmm. Up until a few years ago, it was very uh, anxiety. Didn't want to go to work. Didn't want to go into the pods. Didn't want to do anything because I was afraid of being snatched or hurt or sexually assaulted. Ebony, when you started experiencing this, who'd you talk mm-hmm. to? Who'd you report it to? Um, my fellow, my supervisors. Mm-hmm. Like we, we have roll calls before work, mm-hmm. before we go upstairs. So doing the roll call is where the time that we chop it up. And we all, most of the women made, um, we let them aware of how we were feeling. I've had conversations as well as with supervisors on the sidebar mm-hmm. as well. But the atmosphere is, this is what y'all signed up for. This is what you're going to have to deal with. We didn't agree with it. We definitely voiced our opinions. That's not how it's supposed to be, to this extent. The allegations of sexual harassment from the inmates (sighs) by you and and several others. And if you can, (laughs) just give one of those instances where you felt your life was in danger. And okay, we want to, um, we want to caution for, and we want, we do want to caution for our listeners. You may hear an account of alleged sexual intimidation or harassment. Please, my breaking point was um, I went upstairs to go, and what we do is where I worked was on the support services, so we had to pull inmates down to come to court. So I went upstairs to pull one particular inmate, but when I opened the door, all the inmates ran to the door. So I was like, "Y'all back up." But one particular inmate reached in between the group of guys at the door and reached for my vagina Mm -hmm. and said, let me touch that fat blank, Mm -hmm. Miss Boswell. Okay. So at that particular time. It's okay. And, And Ebony, you can stop. We can take a pause. We can take a break. You tell me. Sorry. Being a mother of a 21 year old black male myself. Having that child reach for me as if I'm nothing. So I go downstairs and I tell my supervisors what happened. They told me to go ahead and write them up, which I did. I did everything that I was supposed to do per policy. But this particular inmate was still allowed to be in population. He was not moved to lockdown. So every time I went to that floor, at least 
out of a five-day work period, I had to be subjected to him taunting me about reaching for my vagina. Let me bring in your attorney um, for a moment. Ebony, you take as much time as you need. Attorney Rafford, in hearing this, and you've heard this before, are many of the allegations from the plaintiffs that you're representing and the others who are coming forward, as you just told me a few moments ago, is this typical? Is this what you've been hearing? Yes, ma'am, it is. Um, and we, uh, Tamika Strozier, who was the, the first name plaintiff, was the first one to contact us. And um, when we told her we were interested in the case and we'd like to look into it further, she reached out to others who were uh, former employees like her and current employees, and they were anxious to talk to us. And it was, you know, you as an attorney, you always have to make a decision about whether to take a case like this um, and can you ultimately prove your allegations. Mm -hmm. um, but when one person after another, after another, after another comes to you with such striking similar stories um, in such detail and, and people have continued to come to us uh, with this since the, the lawsuit has become public, um, it convinced us that we absolutely could prove this case and that what we spoke was the truth. Attorney Rafford, before filing a lawsuit, did you seek to try to maybe get some type of conversation, not necessarily yes, settlement, ma but maybe even some type of decree that the changes would be coming forth? What other approaches did you take before filing a federal lawsuit? We sure did. So um, with any case of employment discrimination, um, the charge first has to be filed with the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission or the EEOC. Um, so for each of our plaintiffs, we did file charges with the EEOC. There was some degree of investigation and there was a, a conversation um, that was had where we basically said, Here, here's what we would like you to do. Um, and we did discuss a consent decree. And, and I think that's still something we're interested in pursuing. Um, but we our offer was rejected. And, and so now we're in court. Ebony, you have in the 16 years that you were there, and you've worked on a different sheriffs. Uh, yes. Did you ever have a meeting with the sheriff? No. Did you see I felt as if it was, um, it wasn't going to lead to anything anyway. Um, I know one or two, to my recollection, have, did. Nothing's going, nothing, no. It was going, no. It was going to me, upset me more to just be fed a bunch of BS. Because mm -hmm. it, it, nothing was going to change. We should note that it, it has been reported that Sheriff Maddox, Millie Maddox, said that her office has lost a lot of staff, a lot of employees, yeah. uh, uh -huh. I believe, to 100 in 2021. And often, and even said that this creates unsafe conditions for everyone involved. It was unsafe before. Like, I had another situation where an inmate was masturbating on me and a fellow nurse. So I'm there with the nurse. I look in the pod. He's standing in the doorway, butt naked from the waist down, going to work. So I go in to try to address him. He never stopped until mm -hmm. I got in his face. I pulled out my pepper spray like, hey, put that up. You know, and he whatever. I couldn't even lock him down because the cell doors do not work. So, and I had to think to myself, I got a family at home. Get the hell out this pod because it's not safe for me to walk around and even want to do my job if I wanted to do my job. Ebony, you're saying the locks on the cells were not working. 
No, no, ma'am. And they wanted us to go in and do security checks. Like right now, this day and age, 2022, most facilities are ran by women. There are the male officers are few and in between. So most facilities are ran by women and they wanted us to go in here and do security checks. And we know the sale does not work. So as fellow females, we would do the buddy system. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, you come with me. We're going to go together. But if that female is busy, they want me to go by myself. No, I'm not going in there. It's, it's no. I start getting anxiety and I'm not an anxiety. I've been doing this for too long, mm -hmm. like 16 years. I don't have anxiety, but I started getting anxiety. I didn't want to go in there. No. I got kids. Attorney Rafford, in this lawsuit, and you all are, 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 and you said more folks have been coming forward, uh, you then, this becomes a class action lawsuit in a sense? Could be, potentially? It could be, and, and we're looking into that, and, um, you know, a lot of time people think a class action just means a lawsuit that a lot of people are involved in. Um, there, There is a specific procedural mechanism to go through to certify uh, a case as a class action. And that is something that we're looking at. Um, but at, at present, it, it is not pled as a class action. It's pled as six plaintiffs versus the, the single defendant, which is the sheriff's office. Earlier in the conversation, you told me you felt you all had enough to definitely prove that there was a violation of, of civil rights here. You're also talking about, in terms of the, uh, the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, you you stand firm that, that you all have the solid evidence that you all have enough to stand firm in that, and that the court should rule in your favor. Yes, ma'am. We, we we're not in the business of filing lawsuits. We don't think we can win. Um, we've built a reputation as being uh, one of a, only a small handful of law firms in the metro Atlanta area that really specializes in civil rights litigation and employment discrimination litigation and um, that reputation is very important to us and um, so we we don't we don't we don't um, shoot half cocked we've got the evidence um, that we that we need to prove the case and we'll continue to develop that evidence in discovery Ms. Boswell yes. in those instances whether it was with you or, or some of your fellow colleagues did anyone come to your defense that incident that you just described the last one were there any other correctional officers or anyone that came to your defense to help you what's the process when something like that happens well no <laughs> they're all busy themselves the staff is very low like like the sheriff said they're we're losing officers so i just like i said i just backed out the pod and came on out and secured the door there was no one to call you know it's just we was it was like a survival mode when I clocked in, and when I went home, I was in survival mode. So I did what I had to do to do my job efficiently and safely, but as well as not putting myself in harm's way, per se. But I love my job. At that, you know, I I love doing what I do. I've been doing it for so long, and I was so close to retirement. But my peace of mind is worth more than a paycheck. So I left making what I was making to making like four or five dollars less to save my mind and my and my safety. Attorney Rafford, as we begin to to wrap up, uh, what's next? You all obviously are waiting uh, to hear in terms of will this even be able to go forward? But are you willing, if possible, to have a conversation with the sheriff's department? Absolutely. And that's one of my philosophies of litigation is always try to work out 
an agreement to avoid litigation, um, and we've done that, and we'll continue to do that. Um, litigation is a, a, a last resort. Um, so if we're forced to litigate the case and try the case, then we'll absolutely do that, and we'll throw our full weight behind it. Um, but if the leadership at the sheriff's office is willing to sit down with us and have a conversation about um, how we can compensate these plaintiffs for what they've experienced, but also if, of equal importance, how we can ensure that the female staff at the jail can go to work free of a sexually hostile work environment. Um, we're absolutely willing to have that conversation. And uh, frankly, I hope that we will. Ebony, I'll give you the last word here. Are you yes. done with working in law enforcement? Actually, no. Um, I don't want to bring up my current appointment, sure. but I'm with sure. another agency now, and I am happy as all get out. <laughs> I am so happy now. So, no, I'm not done. Ebony Boswell, her attorney, Jam James Rafford, who's also representing others. And again, we want to let you know that we did reach out to DeKalb County's Sheriff's Office. And again, in part, the agency does not comment on pinning litigation is what they told us so thank you attorney radford thank you miss boswell for sharing your story thank i really you. appreciate it thank you thank you thank rose you. we're regular listeners we really appreciate it yes thank you From WABE in Atlanta, Georgia, Closer Look continues. I'm Rose Scott. Okay, y'all get ready. I'm going to set the setting for you. Here's the place. It's the Bronx up in New York. Everybody got that? Four black women who are close friends, maneuvering through life and all that it brings. Their stories are told around hair routine and the sisterhood bond that they share. It's a new graphic novel titled Wash Day Diaries. It's a joint venture between award-winning comics writer, editor, and publisher Jamelia Rouser and cartoonist Robin Smith. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. I'm joined now by one half of the team. Jamila, welcome. Thank you, Rose. So excited to be here. I want to begin by saying thank you. This is really, really cool. <laughs> this is really and, and from and listen, from that very first page that reads, quote, to the black girls around the world, you are seen, you are beautiful. Take our listeners yes, through how yes. all this came about. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Um, yes, this uh, actually spawned from my first um, comic book, which was uh, Wash Day, which was the, the first chapter or the first story in Wash Day Diaries. And I've always loved comics. And the thing that I really felt was missing was uh, comics featuring black women going through their everyday life. You know, we do get the superhero stuff mm -hmm. and we'll even get slice of life things from, uh, you know, not marginalized folks. Um, but I just wanted to see something that represented my friends and me um, and, uh, you know, and showing like 
uh, highlighting our hair. And, and mm -hmm. that was one of the things that I really wanted to show is like the the time and care we put into um, our hair, which is something that society deems unprofessional at times, ugly at times. Um, and despite all of that and in spite all of that, you know, we put a lot of care and I wanted to show black women that, you know, there is a place for them in comics that I see them um, and just making space for us in the comic book world um, and honoring them and and our routines. And even though when I have my wash day, I dread it. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you telling? <laughs> it is, it's not as beautiful as it looks in the comic, but, uh, you know, we do have two pages of detangling. So I try to keep it as, as authentic as possible. Listen, I have <laughs> I have locks all the way down my back. I'm there. I, I get it. Let's take our listeners <laughs> through these four friends. Um, I imagine that there's a little bit is there a little bit of you in, in all of these sisters or <laughs> there is it's interesting uh there's a little bit of every i'm in, i'm in a little bit of everybody and my friends are kind of a little bit in everybody as well um and i really wanted to kind of have uh, sisterhood and friendship is huge uh, themes for me and my work and I really wanted to show not just you know the beauty of our hair care routines but the beauty of friendship and black sisterhood and how we um, can depend on each other and that beautiful interdependence and uh, the different dynamics that our friends um, can have and you know how much we love each other and even through our ups and downs uh, we may not always get it right but we always do care and um, and so it was really fun to be able to put that, combine that with the hair journey. And um, the artist, Robin Smith, yeah. through this journey of us creating, you know, the very first comic, Wash Day, the the, the 27 page comic back in 2018, we became best friends. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a ton of friendship and love um, that you can really feel in this comic because we ourselves are really good friends. And then um, just the close bond that I have with my other friends, I just wanted readers to feel that, feel like, you know, oh, I can relate to this in my group chats and, and my best friends and going to brunch and things like that. So um, we don't we don't get to see a lot of that. We do get to see a lot of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, black, trauma and, mm -hmm. and things like that, I think is more focused. Um, those kind of stories are more focused on and I wanted to um, have something lighter um, and that is still really important. I want to focus on a Robin. Unfortunately, she couldn't join us today, but when you look at, when you first saw what she came up with for oh Kim, Nisha, Cookie, and Devine, mm -hmm. did you say, okay, she nailed it? Because they all yeah. got different different types of hair texture, different mm -hmm. facial features, you know, their backgrounds. How how spot on did Robin do with these? Robin was amazing. I didn't have, um, I didn't give her a lot of um, very specific things about how I wanted the character's faces to look. I just wanted to have a diverse range of skin tones, hair types, and body types. And so I think she did a really wonderful job in, in creating like, hair that actually looks real you know as a black woman who reads comics unfortunately i've seen a lot of black hair that is just not realistic it's like that's not our hair how our hair lays that's not how cornrows look um so she you know is a wonderful artist and um 
I just, it just blew my, it blows my mind every time I would get a new page from her. It was just such a wonderful feeling. And why the Bronx? The Bronx is my quote unquote hometown. (laughs) So um, that's where I spent a lot of my 20s and and that's where I spent most of my time with my very close friend group. Uh, I went to school in New York City. My, my, um, I'm a military brat, so I moved all Mm -hmm. over the place. Uh, But my parents are from the Bronx, my family's from the Bronx. And so that is my, like, that's what I rep, although I am in hot Miami right now. Um, and you know, Brooklyn gets a lot of shine, uh, but you know, I think thanks to like Cardi B and stuff, the Bronx Mm -hmm. gets more, um, is getting more shine. And so the city is a part of, is kind of a character in itself as well. And I wanted to show, you know, the specific stuff that you can get in the Bronx or the experiences you can get going to the bodega and Mm -hmm. the different trains, making sure they were very accurate, you know, like the train stations looked exactly like that train station because mm-hmm. um, I knew New Yorkers would be able to tell, like, that's not how the <laughs> Castle Hill train looks. Because <laughs> they will let you know. Oh, they will. They definitely will. <laughs> and in the world of social media, they'll put you like, the she don't look nothing like the Penn Station. They or will, whatever. yes. <laughs> they will tag me and let me know. <laughs> let me ask you this, because your background, mm-hmm. you mentioned, and you talked about this in terms of graphic novels and comics and not seeing a lot that focuses on just black women, our everyday mm-hmm. experiences. This some I've been reading some reviews and there was a, a woman on YouTube that actually did a she does a hair like routine type, you know, do it yourself. And she also gave a review of the book. Did you see that? I have not. Oh, my gosh. That sounds amazing. I need to find that. <laughs> yeah, she's got your book. I'm like, okay, she's giving y'all a shout out. I love out. that. How important is, a, is a, a graphic novel like this right now? I think, for me, it, it hits on so many different levels of how, why it's important. Um, I think it shows that all kinds of Black stories are important, not just the ones that are about, you know, trauma or, um, you know, the hardships that we go through they are important as well Mm -hmm. but we can also celebrate the love that's in our lives and friendships and things that seem mundane you know like washing our hair is actually a really big deal Mm -hmm. and i think showing that and highlighting that um is important and it shows people a different um way to uh see black stories and, and understand black stories um and also that it's adult Uh, black women we Mm -hmm. do get a lot of comics that are for um kids you know middle grade young adult and these are this is a little bit more why a little bit older than ya you know these are adult women doing adult women things and we don't get a lot of that in comics in general period let alone black women absolutely and in fact (laughs) in fact you touch upon it when when i think i think it's devine when she's trying to get her hair cornrowed Mm-hmm. And she she's like, look, I can't go to work with my hair natural, not yep. after what happened last time. And she says, I can't deal with this <clears throat> stuff right now. Yes. That's real. <laughs> that it's is real. real experiences I've had personally. A lot of a lot of the stuff that happens um, is is based off of personal experience, not a straight up auto bio. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I wanted there to be cursing and mature topics. And there's some, you know, mild nudity because a girl's in the shower washing her hair. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are things like that that we don't get in comics. And I want, um, as a 35 year old who loves comics, um, I really want Wash Day Diaries to be uh, me and Robin. Our goal is like 
if this is the first comic a black woman reads like this, that will make our day, you know, and show them that there are comics out there for them and inspire them to go looking. Um, and, and because when you walk into, you know, a comic book shop or a Barnes and Nobles, mm -hmm. you may not see stuff that features characters that look like you. Mm -hmm. And if they do, they're, you know, background characters or mm -hmm. they're written by, you know, straight white men and it just doesn't feel authentic. And so, I hope it inspires um, Black women out there to uh, see that there are comics that can be about them and to maybe write their own and create their own. Um, and that's I, and yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I and I also see I can see Wash Day Diaries and, and animation too. Listen, exactly. <laughs> I have the same idea. <laughs> I would love for it to be animation uh, because that is definitely an area where. I don't wear black women's stories in adult animation. I don't see that, you know? Um, and so that would be a dream because I love animation as well. And so if, if anybody's listening and interested, <laughs> they can hit us up. <laughs> you, you're, you're open for discussions and negotiations. Oh, what you're open. saying? What's the, Jamila, what's the, what's the feedback been like so far about wash day diaries? It's been so amazing. Um, you know, we this is me and Robin's pandemic baby. You know, we created it during the pandemic. It was really difficult. Um, and starting to get the reviews, um, especially from a lot of women who've never read comics before and how they were like, oh, my gosh, like, I don't know, this is what comics could be like and mm -hmm. how relatable it was and, and how they were laughing out loud or, you know, even crying because it really takes you through all these different emotions. Mm -hmm. um, it was very affirming. You know, it, it felt very affirming that I am on the right path, that even though, you know, me and Robin don't see a lot of the stories that we want to see in comics um you know that that they are just because they're not there doesn't mean people don't want them and i think that that's the biggest thing that the reviews have told me is that people are thirsty for this kind these kinds of stories and if not an animation i could and i know we've had this storyline before in terms of television Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know which but, has inspired a lot of you know yes. girlfriends insecure absolutely living single know, all living of single, that yeah. yes exactly <laughs> what's next for you oh i um well i have my publishing company black Jose press and so um we publish comics that are focused on um black and brown creators um women and non-binary folks so i'm working on editing some comics that are coming out in a magazine um and i do have some comics that will be in that magazine um i do me and robin have worked on a couple of projects together and so there is another one we hope to work on in the future um so we we're we're a duo that you'll definitely see again. <laughs> what are some tips you want to give to someone who says, you know what, maybe now that I've been listening to Rose talk to Jamila, maybe I'll take a stab at writing. Because, you know, writing oh, comics yeah. and, and, you know, other types of genre within literary, they're all different. What oh, yes. What's that? What's that? A couple golden nuggets you want folks to know. I've always yeah, been told just write, you know. <laughs> well, you know, with comics, it's it's very different. Um, and so I was self-taught as far as comics writing. Like I used to write and blog a lot before. But um, for writing for comics, um, you're writing for the artist. And so it is very different and a specific skill. And there are tons of 
great resources on how to write comic scripts um, there. So I would definitely, you know, go to your library or go to the bookstore and check out books about writing comic scripts so you can see, you know, the kind of information that needs to be in the different panels um, because it is definitely not the same as writing a novel mm-hmm. um <laughs> definitely not the same and so and i would also suggest starting small you know wash day the first um story in wash day diaries is 27 pages mm-hmm. and of course i had all these ideas of making it bigger or doing more stories but i'm like chill let's start small <laughs> it's it's you know a lot easier to do and um it can show that you can get something done so i would definitely say look up resources about writing comic scripts you can see free examples of them online as well um and um if possible see if you can hire an editor um and that can also help yeah all right it's a graphic novel titled wash day diaries by jamelia rosser and robin smith i've been in conversation with jamelia best of luck and continued success i love this copy it's all mine usually i give them away i'm not giving this one away (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. And that is it for this edition of Closer Look. I love that conversation. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer for today was Daniel. He does ride a bike as well. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And you can also listen to Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. And a programming note for tomorrow we have we will have a special edition of closer look as we take a look at combating youth violence now our guests will be cj and kelly stewart joshua bird and chuck barlow again that's tomorrow a very special closer look as we look at combating youth violence here in the atlanta area stay tuned to 90.1 wabe atlanta i'm rose scott Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.